Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Here, we help you win at the game of business and marketing, so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have our marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have those who help others create their businesses. And on the other side of the coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, if you, like me, are perhaps all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we serve you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on your favorite syndication network, such as iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Every five-star rating helps serve more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe, you'll get immediate access to fresh content every week, in addition to over 270 episodes going back nearly five and a half years of timely and timeless content covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators like us. Today, we are going to have some fun here. And this is going to be about getting out of what's called the rut race. Oh, I'm very interested about that, the rut race. And we're going to get off the online course hamster wheel. As fun as online courses are, uh, some view them as a hamster wheel. We're going to get into that. And we're going to enter what's known as the intuition hacking zone. Oh, I love hacking. All right. Our guest today is somebody who you are going to thoroughly enjoy. His name is Vaughn Liddicote, and he helps you get out of what he calls the rut race, off the online course hamster wheel, and into your intuition hacking zone. So exactly what we're going to cover today. He is the CEO of a company called Entribe, which is an investor in, he's an, oh, excuse me, he's also an investor in a Swedish entrepreneur education tech startup, Cubimo, if I'm pronouncing that right, and I'm sure he'll correct me in a second. And he's the founder of the not-for-profit Mission for Millions. He speaks on the need to learn, unlearn, and relearn to get ahead. So while the why, so what he's going to share with us is some of why the workforce model is broken and how, as a result, you're robbing yourself of potential right now and don't even know it. Vaughn, as you're about to discover, is all about knowledge, skill, application, and perspective. So Vaughn, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. It's awesome to be here. Hello, everyone listening. All right. So, Vaughn, what we like to do, and you mentioned to me in the green room that you've had a chance to check out the Business Creators Radio Show, and you see how much fun we have here. What we like to do before we get into the primary topic, and we're going to deal with a few areas, such as the rut race, such as productivity, and such as some of the personal issues. It's going to be a very nuanced, multi-level interview. It's going to be great. What we want to do here is I know that a few people are probably opening a separate browser tab right now, and they're looking you up on Google or Bing or Yahoo or DuckDuckGo or whatever they like, and they're looking to get to a little bit, know a little bit more about you. So what we'd like to do is take a moment, step back, and just share with us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. Thank you. Well, I guess I'm a lot like the um, the listeners on this show in the sense that I've always been a bit of an outlier and never want to conform to, I suppose, what other people and what society was always saying, you should do this. 
And what I mean by that, from like the earliest age, um, I can remember just getting these ideas. I didn't think like other people were. And, you know, that was reflected in my sort of entrepreneurial quests, whether that was like door knocking and selling chocolates when I was like, you know, seven or eight years old to seeing the first yo-yo craze in our school and going up, you know, a few hours away from our hometown and buying yo-yos at a low price and then going back to school and, and basically eating for free at lunch because I got to like make a little profit on the, on the, on the upsell. And, um, nice. and, and, and that's, that sort of thinking has, has sort of always been with me. And I, I remember quite distinctly being in school and thinking, this is just not for me. Like th there's just something wrong with it. I couldn't quite put my finger on it at the time, but I was very, very fortunate to have amazing parents who they were not business owners, entrepreneurs, but they were absolutely, I suppose, my uh, my belief investors, if that's the thing. And th they were the ones that were like, "Look, it's okay if you don't do well in school. We believe in you. We know you can you can do you can make something of yourself, whatever that is." But right. that didn't equip me, right? Like, so school didn't equip me. The belief helped me, but it didn't equip me with the skills. So I started reading um, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad in year seven, and that book lit a little little fire. And this is the thing for people listening, right? Like, so if you're if you're in a position where you get a book like that and you read it, you may not apply it straight away, but it plants a seed. And that seed, over time, will come back to, to fruition at some point where you may get another book or you might get another contact or you might listen to this podcast just serendipitous, right? And just listen to it and it lights a fire in you. And that's what happened to me in year 12. So a few years later after reading this book, I didn't really do a lot with it, but I was always playing around with ideas and I started my first business in school and I wanted to do something different and make my own money and carve my own path and live life on my own terms like everyone does. But I didn't conform, right? So I was like, this is what I've got right. to do. I failed school, but I think when people hear that, they, I don't mean, uh, I mean the actual grading sort of things. I look at it as a success. Getting in the lowest percentile was like a win for me because the model's broken, right? It's making factory workers. So, and I wasn't that. And it's like the world has changed. And so as I was reading these books, I got introduced to my first mentor and he told me about setting goals and creating multiple sources of income. So I started playing with these ideas. I spent 12 months just going through material, right? Like reading books like Think and Grow Rich and going through the process of learning how to set goals. So there was nothing in particular. It wasn't like I, like you hear these success stories, right? Of people who like do coaching and then like in 12 months, they build like this insane business, right? Or they do something that's astounding that is almost too hard to believe. Well, that never happened for me. Everything that has ever happened to me has taken a really long time and most importantly, full of adversity that I had to overcome. And so one right. of the goals I set when I just finished school was, you know what I'd like to do? And this is really crazy, Adam, right? This is a, this is a whole different sort of thinking. I was like, I'm not going to go to university. I don't, I don't think that's the way forward for me. I don't think, I think that model is, is in itself got new problems, but I don't want to go down that road. I do want to run a business, but I don't really want to do a traditional model. So what I'll do is I'll go into a creative endeavor. Um, let me do some dancing. So I, I started ballroom dancing and I, I wasn't going to do anything with this. I just went for a class to meet some girls. And so as I <laughs> went to my first class, I actually met a really lovely uh, girl. Her name was Allison. And, and when this was about sort of 18 years old. And so I was in this class. And then as I got through and started doing it, I was like, hey, this is actually a real passion of mine. I really enjoy this. When I finished school, I was like, you know what? Let, let, I'm going to set some, some goals in this dancing thing. Let, let's see what we can do. I mean, I sucked at it. Like, my, my feet sucked. Like, I could not keep balance. Like, I couldn't do any steps. I had the two left feet syndrome. Like, have you ever danced, Adam? Uh, <laughs> sober? 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Like most people, like everyone, you know, it's like that. that's the normal thing. It's like we can pub dance, but we can't really dance. And so I right. thought like, hey, let's set some goals in this. I want to become, um, a, you know, a top representative of Australia and go travel the world dancing. And why? Because I want to. That's it. I just wanted to do it. It would be a lot of fun. I get to see the world. Um, the, and here's the thing. The goal is very important, right? But the mechanics to achieving the goal, the things that you have to do and the person you need to become to realize that goal are fundamentally more important. And so what had to happen for me to change was not just become equipped and skilled at dancing. I had to change my mindset. I had to change my belief structure. I had to understand how I operated. I developed different rituals, routines, and disciplines. Aside that, I also had to learn how to earn money so I could fund my dream because you don't get paid to do that. And I think that's one thing people get confused on, right? They, they think that they need to earn money from the thing that they do, and it's just not true. You should engage in a labor that you love and something that you're passionate about and you enjoy, um, even if you didn't get paid for it, right? That's called psychic income. It's something that gives you meaning and purpose beyond just doing the job. And so for me, that, that, was, that was my thing. And around that was the entrepreneur vehicle, right? So like learning how to earn money using real estate as a vehicle, right? And then thinking about... Uh, other ideas that totally failed, right? Like, so I went into all sorts of ventures and they just didn't work out, but that's part of the deal. And so on the pathway to working towards that goal, that journey in itself is very much the hero's journey and it was so wonderful. And in, within a 10-year period, we ended up uh, representing Australia and four times in the professional level and we just recently retired. But that girl I met in the class turned out to become my wife, Adam. So who, who knew after all this time, like, you know, you turn up for a class and it's literally life-changing on many fronts. Right. Oh, yeah. That is a beautiful story, and thanks for sharing that with us. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, grade-wise, did well in school, but it wasn't really a place where I fit in. And when I think about it, there were two issues, one of which, well, actually, they both had to do with conformity, that I recognized even then what the purpose of the educational system was, and it wasn't something I was buying into, the opposite of what I was looking for in life. And then there's a the matter that uh, you're expected to conform to a certain way of being, certain way of acting, and that that's just not for me. And that kind of translated over to when I entered the corporate world as well, and I take being called unemployable as a compliment. <laughs> I, uh, also, I think I'm, I think I'm psychologically unemployable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my last year working in corporate environments, and uh, and I, I had this boss's boss I had to deal with who was just absolutely clueless to the human condition, and she would give me all these lectures that I was just letting fly in one ear and out the other as fast as possible. And I remember, and I remember her saying something to the effect of. You know, you, you recognize you don't meet the standards for what's considered acceptable around here. And I'm thinking, believe me, what's, I didn't say this out loud because I'd already, I was already plotting my exit strategy and I wanted to keep getting those paychecks until such time. But I was thinking to myself, yeah, believe me, I know what's considered acceptable around here and I ain't down with it. But I kept that to myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think, um, I think it's easy to get a very us versus them mentality with certain things, and that's that's okay and right. it serves a place. But, but um, you know, and I guess that's what in America particularly, I think there's such a movement towards entrepreneurship because it's a vehicle yeah. particularly um, that sits in a 
a very new space. New entrepreneurship is very old. It's not. It's not a new concept. But for example, right. you know, getting into de- getting into debt and going to university or college over there, um, and then having to work for many many years just and the debt traps you right in a cycle, and you're yeah. generally in a job you don't like at the end of the day, um, and then you think, well, what else can I do? Well, I could be unemployed. Well, that would suck. That would not be a good strategy. Right. But it is a strategy. It just wouldn't be a good one. Um, well, of Correct. course, I could work for myself, right? And so entrepreneurship classifies many things, freelancing, um, you know, running an actual business, employing people. There's many different vehicles of it today, I would say. Um, and so it's very appealing to many, many people because of that. Um, and, and you mentioned a wonderful thing, uh, the being, right? Who you, you know, who you were to be as a result of going on your journey. And that's what people need to really get. Um, that in every moment we're actually unfolding, right? We're moving towards something. And the way I look at the different vehicles, so, you know, there's corporate America, there is, um, uh, you've got your jobs and you've got, of course, unemployment and you've got business and, and you work, can work for someone locally. You've got different vehicles and, and structures, right, that people can engage in. But either way, um, when you're in that environment, you're going to become a certain person. And so, when you want to step away from that environment, what's so important is the new person you become. You cannot take your old identity into the new one. And that's why shows like this are so, so great because you have to get different ideas and you have to fundamentally start making changes within yourself because moving from, say, a, a, an employee mindset where you get paid for the hours you work no matter how good you work to – and by the way, and a salary. I love the idea of a salary. It's not – because it's not a gift or a reward. It's a way to trap you, right? It's a way so you don't yeah. go anywhere else. And so what ends up happening is you get paid a salary so you don't go anywhere and then you go off to work on, for your own thing, and what ends up happening is it becomes a value exchange, right? So rather than getting paid per hour, you're getting paid for the value you bring. And that could take you years to figure out how to do well. And so you might have got paid yeah. anything for a long, long time, right? So, so, so what matters is the change you make moving from one vehicle to another, right? And I think that's why shows like this is so powerful. Yeah. You know, there's a story that I've been hearing for years, and most recently it was told by Jim Palmer uh, at the Dream Business Academy, and it's about the – I may mess up a couple of the numbers, but you'll get it. Uh, a person mm. is, it's the middle of wintertime, and the snow's flying, it's really cold, and their furnace goes out. They call somebody to come in and fix the furnace. Guy comes in, tightens the screw, hands them a bill for $1,000. They're like, what, I'm going to pay you $1,000 to uh, tighten the screw? And he, wrote, and he said, okay, that's fine, I'll adjust the invoice. Tightening screw, $2.00. Knowing which screw to tighten so you could have your heat back quickly, nine hundred ninety-eight dollars. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, I've lived in cold climates before, and I know that if the furnace goes out, you don't want to be cold for too long. It's it becomes very pervasive after the ambient heat wears out, and you find out that those gas burners on the stove really don't do that much. And especially when the remainder of the hot water in the tank drains out, that's when reality really start to set in and suddenly a thousand dollars for a working furnace sounds like a bargain that's i love that analogy and what's what's really great about that analogy is that the the whole tightening of the screw is exactly how most people think they think that someone's job is just that actual activity but it's actually the skills underneath it and the experience behind it is what creates the value and that that's what i was saying before with you know the anomalies of success in business are what everybody focuses on but the majority and the way it should work 
is through trial and error over many, many years, right? And that's the game, right? It really is a game, and it really is a pathway, and it is a fun way to do life. But to expect a massive, like to get paid $1,000 to tighten a screw the first time you go get a job, that's not going to happen. It's not supposed to happen. You have to upskill, right? right. And, um, and as you do that, and you get better at finding the screw, whatever that means in the solution you're providing, um, well, then you're going to get paid in equal proportion to that. And, of course, you've got to demand it, of course, so, uh, so, you, um, so you actually have to have confidence to ask for that. Yeah, very, very, tr very true. And you think about, you know, really what is the value proposition? In the example I just gave you, it's getting cold and your hot water tank is empty and you're chilled to the bone. The value is furnace is back on. And you got it done right then instead of potentially having to wait three days. Because somebody who knew what they were doing instantly figured out that tightening a screw reconnected something that made the furnace work again, whereas somebody who might have charged less or billed by the number of hours that they went into the furnace might have been doing a lot of trial and error because they didn't think that, oh, well, this is something that happens frequently. I'll just tighten this and we're good to go. Mm -hmm. Right. So this, to me, speaks to the first segment of what we need to get into the rut race how do you know if you're stuck there uh, that is a wonderful question and I, I just want to pre-frame that because <laughs> a lot of people uh, first of all may not recognize that they're in a rut because they might think that a rut means a certain type of person like a maybe a lower socioeconomic status right someone might be unemployed sitting on a couch eating Cheetos all day um, that is not what a rut means, right? So you could be a high-level CEO, executive, corporate flyer. Like you could be really at the top of your game and be in a rut. And this happens with sports stars and athletes. And so it's not necessarily about the skill or the level you're playing at. What ends up happening with a rut is it's, it's more about the monotony. So if you think about uh, a celebrity who's really at the top of their game and they start getting everything handed to them, and there's no more chase involved, right? The hunger may have dissipated completely and they're completely full. They can get into a rut. And what do they do in that moment? They're trying to find new ways to meet their needs or to get that excitement back. And so maybe drugs are a quick way of doing that or loose relationships or playing fast with adrenaline sports, right? So what ends up happening is you've got to examine your life, first of all, and have a self-analysis and think, okay, is, is my life monotonous? Like, you know, you can get – getting your dream is very possible. It happens more than you frequently think. So a lot of people are addicted to the failure thing, like, you know, like, let's, uh, let's fail fast, fail off and fail forward. And whilst that's going to happen, I wouldn't suggest focusing on that because what you ultimately want to be doing is, is developing and moving forward and progressing every day in your life to your level that you want, not what someone else is dictating. But realize that it, if you think you arrive, that's the problem because Let's say you get your dream, and in my experience in my life, the moment I walked onto the floor after 10 years of six hours a day of training, not six hours a day, six days a week, hours per day, for years training to get onto the world stage, it was a championship in Quebec in Canada. We just got the representation rights. I remember looking at this floor, and I looked towards Alice and I said, what is next? And the moment of achieving our goal was actually the biggest letdown in the entire 10 years it was so trippy because i've heard about this before but when i experienced it because I, I didn't believe it i didn't believe people could think like that when i got it, i was like oh my god it's so true the arrival is not the point and so that's what happens with most people they get their dream job 
They maybe get into their business. Maybe they start earning a certain level of money, which gives them a certain type of lifestyle. They get out of debt, and all of a sudden, they're like, good, life is actually pretty good. All right, so this is sweet. Because they're not moving towards anything else, that becomes a rut. And so what ends up happening is escapism can be a vehicle, right? So people might get binge-watching Netflix all the time, right? They might go into um, addictive behaviors because it's a way of, I suppose, getting that need met. You see, and so the rut in and of itself is not about the level you're at. It's about whether you've got that, you're not progressing towards, say, the next thing in your life. And as humans, we are goal-seeking creatures, right? We must be moving forward into something, the speed at which is always determined by your ambition level. But we've got to have the ambition because the other side of this, if you're not that way, this is where the rut kicks in. And the reflection of that is in, say, depression or really waking up with no motivation, not feeling ready to take on the day. And so that's what the rut means. Now, the race is a different component. So if we look at the competition side of the race, you know, everybody's out there trying to kill each other, beat each other to the, the highest spot, the best position. And we're competitive creatures too. So there's nothing wrong with competing. I mean, you know, we need that. You and I, we need to have a healthy, a healthy dose of competition. But we don't want the competition where I'm thinking about how do I beat you or put you out of business. I think that's what makes... I think that's very short-term instant gratification thinking that really puts people in bad spots because they don't get creative that way. They try to just destroy everyone else and they're focusing on everyone else, not the value. So the race that you've got to run has got to be yours. It's got to be because you want to run it, not because your wife, your family, your friends or spouse tell you you should be doing it. That's the conformist side. And then if you combine those two, the rut race, rather than saying rat race, that's where a lot of people sit. So I'm coach, you know, I've moved out of dancing into coaching now. And so as I'm working with clients, uh, developing their mindset, helping them get on this trajectory, they've got to look at themselves and think, am I in a rut? And is the race I'm running worth it? And is it for me? Right. Precisely. And, you know, we speak here at the Business Creators Radio Show a lot about the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And when you're not there, the best thing you can do is to help to find your way there. I've said myself a number of times that, Let's say you recognize you need to make a change in your life. You need to change careers. You need to move somewhere else, whatever it is, because your current situation is just not working for you. And you can look at that and say, well, I can't do that. That'll take me three years. Well, here's my response. If you wait until tomorrow to get started, it's going to take you three years in one day. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I love also how you – break up instead of saying rut race you identify the distinction between the rut and the race and i also appreciate how you identified that it doesn't necessarily have to do with anything socioeconomic or where you are in terms economically in your career or anything like that it's a matter of you find yourself in a place where it's you know it's just not working out for you it's like you're living a life by default rather than a life by design and which we'll get to in a second and it's just a matter that you need to figure out how to make that change. And if it's going to be a process, best to start the process now. And when we Dude, talk that, about rut so race, and, yeah, we talk about rut race and getting stuck in a rut. You know, I uh, used to have a situation where, because I, by by admission, I get paid to speak to people, and I don't really want to have a lot of gabby conversations at uh you know in the nights and stuff like that like if i'm having a conversation with a friend or somebody you know the conversation is usually about when do you want to meet 
because I, I, I don't want to deal with it in my ear, right? And uh, folks figured out that there was a television show that I used to love to watch at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays. So my phone would start ringing at 9.54 because I think, oh, we'll catch him. Yeah, um, I'm going to, like, let this phone call preempt my TV show. Okay. So I would think, okay, they've got to know better than to call now. So if they're actually calling now, this must be important. And when they try that, oh, what are you up to? What's new? And I end the call quickly. They say, well, I'm concerned about you. You seem like you're stuck in a rut. No, I seem like like you should have known better. So sometimes we we get the idea of this whole rut thing as something that, you know, you're supposedly stuck in some kind of unhappy place, but it's not actually what it is. It could be just a misdirection. I, I don't know. I mean, and uh, this is why I believe, as you do, that it's more to live a life by design rather than by default. So let's say we're living a life by default and we're stuck in this rut race. What do you do to reset and start living by design? Like, let's say I came to you and yeah. I said, Vaughn, I read, I read your book. I'm stuck, in the, I'm stuck in the rut race. What do I do? So a couple, a couple things. There's actually a lot to that. It's an amazing question, Adam. Um, just something you said earlier caught my eye. So you said the intersection between passion and brilliance. Was that, that – that's what you, yeah. you – you, one of your frameworks, right? To, ser- to thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, I really, I really, I really um, think that's a, a great way to think. And, and passion's talked about a lot, but it's misunderstood. So can I, can I quickly talk about that for a second? Because yes. um, people, will, people will say, yeah, you've got to be passionate, you've got to be passionate. But the etymology of the word passion means to suffer. So the root of it means you suffer. And so it really comes from the passion of the Christ. And, but in today's vernacular, passion is confused for like a positive energetic emotional force yeah. right so like you've got to be passionate you got to be pumped up ready to roll that's not what passion means and this is what's really funny because i think passion is for amateurs and purpose is for the professionals right because your passion wanes and it burns out when you really get into what you're going for and so if you're in a rut you might think well i need more passion that's not really the starting point, okay? Because the passion will get you going, but it won't keep you going long-term. It's not sustainable as a fuel. That's what purpose is about. Purpose is that fuel to keep you going through the adversity and to give you the courage and the fortitude to push past when the passion wears out. Because remember, passion means to suffer, right? It's not actually the motivating force. So if you suffer for what you love, I think you're doing really well. I think you've got a great life. Because inherently within that is fulfillment. That's the duality of it, right? So to suffer, if you really are giving your all, your soul, your body, your mind to your craft, and you treat it like that, whatever it is, you really get paid for that big time in the way you feel about yourself, in the well-being of yourself, right? And so that's the first thing. So it's not about getting more passion to get out of the rut race. So you might go, well, what is it about? Um, Well, we talked about progression. So it's really about moving forward with a new idea. How can you do what you're doing better? And so this is why entrepreneurship is so great. And it's also a a bit of a danger because most people who are real hardcore entrepreneurs can't stop with the idea thing. And so they've got too many ideas and lacking execution. So for most people, though, that's not their problem. It's, okay, I just need an idea I can sink my teeth into. So, So what a good starting point is, is to think of an ideal. And an ideal is an idea that you love. When you get into a new idea, so let's say you've hit a certain level in your life where things are going really well, or even if they're not going really well, 
the 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 suffering of that, the the actual pursuit of moving forward towards your goals is bringing you joy, and you're like, well, the the, the chase is worth it. But you feel that man, the day to day grind is just it's not doing it for me. Like I just my routines, my rituals, my habits, my workload, I just don't like it. That's awesome. What you do with that is you start really analyzing what needs to be gone, what you need to take away, what's working, and then you need to get a better idea. An idea means maybe you shift the target you're going for or the goal. So an example of this is, you know, we talk about online courses. A lot of people in business, it's smart if they create an online course as an extra revenue stream. But that requires skills, right? So that's an idea, though. Right. So that means they get new passion and, and uh, well, not new passion, but they get a new zest for what they're doing. And they start to go, man, they start to see the new possibility. So in my uh, one of my dance companies, right, one of the things that we that I did was pioneer the world's first live streaming on the Internet of dance sport competitions. And so what I was always excited about was this possibility, right? It's like, oh, my God, imagine being able to allow people all over the world, instead of traveling to competitions, they could watch it on the Internet. And this was in 2011. And so we launched it and we had um, thousands of people pay to join then we started streaming competitions. The service still runs today. And so there's thousands of people that tune into competitions online. And what's fascinating is the passion behind that was the suffering, right? Like, so it was actually very hard to set up. It took a lot of work. A lot of people had to be convinced. It was really tough. But it brought so much joy to my day-to-day life because it was like the next thing I was building. Does that make sense? It makes dollars and cents. Dollars and cents. That's right. Yes. Okay, so this is this is great, and, that, and that's a great way of looking at this. So we're about halfway through here, and I wanted to move on a little bit. One of the things that intrigued me about what we're going to speak about today is what you refer to as the online courses buying hamster wheel. And the title is called the online course hamster wheel, which what might have led some of our listeners to believe that you're on this hamster wheel of having to create online courses, whereas I knew all along it was about buying the online courses, buying hamster wheel. It's about buying them, all the shelf help and everything else. So we have a few very specific questions here, and I'd like to go through them in order if we can. First of all, how do you get off that wheel of buying all these online courses? Well, I think um, the the way – first of all, I'm a massive proponent of self-education. You know, it's uh, there's a good old saying that – um, standard education will make you a living, but self-education will make you a fortune. And so I am certainly not against that. And, you know, I've got libraries and many online courses. Uh, the difficulty is, uh, particularly being an online course creator myself, um, the completion rate. So people actually going through them and finishing them, it's like 92% of people just don't finish them, which is a terrible percentage, right? And that's like across the board. So so it's, it's, it's quite a difficult thing. And so people really buy a course because of the promise, right? So they're buying because they're like, oh, this will be the thing I need to change, but then they don't go through the course. So I'm not saying don't buy courses. What I'm really saying is that if you do go through one, you have the discipline to stick it out and finish it. So maybe don't – it's the narrative you tell yourself, right? So it's like if you say the next seminar I go to is going to be one that changes my life, that's true because you don't know what that next thing is going to bring. But you also have to realize that it is not – the pillar that's going to make you do the work. You have to do the work, right? Like so a lot of people will lean in, and I guess this comes down to taking responsibility, right? People will lean into the courses, the books, the seminars, and the programs because they feel good. It's great information. But that's not enough. 
there actually has to be the application. So, so the knowing and doing gap is what we're trying to bridge. And a lot of the time people are just convinced that it's doing more courses. And it's just not the case. So people will often say in the coaching industry, they've read hundreds or thousands of books, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I believe it's about studying the material, really breaking it down and understanding it on a deeper level. So rather than doing five, five or ten courses this year, do one, go right through it those several times, really understand what it's about, apply it, test it, see if it works, and that in and of itself is the learning you need to grow your life. I love that. I think that's great, and you know we, you know we hear all the time, and this is one of those uh, this is one of those things that come up when we are being encouraged to purchase a course. And I do invest in online courses when I can identify two things: the specific value that I'm going to gain, or problem I'm going to solve, and I need to be able to see how I'm going to turn this around and monetize it. So if I cannot see the path of monetization as a resort of Investing in this and then taking the time to master it, I'm just not going to buy it. It's that simple. I, if you're a friend of mine, I'll support you in some other way, but I just only so much I can, I can do. So we do have folks, however, who will buy everything, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to help give them a little bit of encouragement to not necessarily have to do that. So let's say you've already purchased a course. Now, what are some ways, in your estimation, Vaughn, to squeeze the most out of that course and finish it? I love that question. Um, <laughs> I mean, so it comes down to, as we were saying before, the, the, the rituals and behaviors that you're engaged in. And are they serving you? Okay, so there has to be a motivation to want to finish a course. And it's, it, I don't personally think it's always the result that the course creator has promised that you're looking for. And so you have to come up with, your own reason that's compelling enough to want to finish it first of all that's if if you don't really at your core level want to finish it it doesn't really matter the strategies right so you know like listening to it around the house would be one of those things just to start with Car depending on your type of personality and your learning style really dictates how you do the course so some people will prefer to watch a video some will because they can sit in front of it distraction free and take notes and really focus and think and that would be wonderful a lot of people won't create that time for themselves. So another way is they could listen to it via an audio as they're doing their um, their jobs and work. And then they can go back to it when a segment really hits them where they need it. And they can go back and listen to that again or watch it and really take further notes. So the motivation is very, very fundamental, right? It's the, it's the it's And I don't believe the motivation is from the result the course creator has been promising necessarily, right? You might make more money. You might have more time, whatever that promise is. It'll be how does it connect to your life? And you really have to feel it. You've got to sort of attach more than a reward of finishing it, pain to not doing it. And that comes down to basic motivation strategies for any person. We are far more motivated to move away from pain than towards it. So what we want to do is attach pain to not finishing the course rather than the pain of doing the course, which is where most people sit. They're like, oh, man, how am I going to get the time? Oh, you know, I've got that really nice episode of House of Cards. I've got to finish. Hmm. Uh, Doing that course equates to study, like I'm at school again, I don't want to have to do that, you know, and so that's the narrative, isn't it? So it comes back to the basic motivation. Why are you doing it? And then attach more pain to not doing the course than to doing it. Yeah, and, you know, that is an interesting way of flipping it. And, like, we think about people who change their dietary lifestyle. 
let's give an example. Somebody decides they want to become vegetarian. We'll use that because that's a pretty common one. And what you frequently see happen is they attack it the same way they attack a crash diet. So there'll be the ceremony for the last bacon cheeseburger. There'll be the last uh, you know, loaded baked potato. There'll be the last outing for ice cream. And all these things, it's the last one, the last one, the last one before I switch over to the other thing. And I was able to make that transition because I wasn't thinking about when's my last cheeseburger going to be or when's my last steak going to be. I simply focused on, wow, look at all these new recipes I get to try, these new places I get to go visit and see what they're like, this new world of experience that I'm going to have. And I didn't even think about my bacon burger or my loaded baked potato because I was so focused on the new thing that was coming up. I, um... And we can take that and we, we can take that and we can apply that to this same type of thing, which is we're focusing on what is the pain if we don't finish this course? What are we not going to get from it? So, so aside from the fact we spent the money, uh, we're not getting the knowledge. We're not getting the monetization ability. We're not going to experience the success that we visioned ourselves having when we made the decision to invest in the first place. Yeah, I think I think one of the what what a good exercise for people to to participate in from hearing what you just said is okay. So we've all heard about visualization, right? And to write a vision out for your life, what you can do is in, like an anti vision. So write out the pain you're about to go through in the next five years if you don't master the skill of that course and what it's ultimately going to do for you. So write out literally all the things that are going to happen. Maybe you stay in debt. Maybe you don't earn the money you want to earn. Maybe your relationship doesn't benefit. Maybe your relationship with your kids doesn't change. The, your, your, diet, your diet doesn't change. Your life doesn't change. And, but attach the pain to it. Write it out really detailed and look at that and go, is that – because that's where you're going, right? Like, so your behaviors and habits and rituals right now today, the things that you and I have that we're engaged in every single day are producing the results that we get. And so right. – those results are what everybody's trying to change, i.e., let me do a course, I will now change my result because of the course. But it's actually not the course that does that. As we know, it's the application of the course, and so therefore we have to actually right. do the course. So what we've got to think about, more importantly, is like, okay, if I don't do this, the results I have today are going to show up in 12 months again. That's, that's guaranteed if you do not make changes within yourself. Now, now here's, here's a way I like to think of this. This is where I have a bit of a gripe with marketing because – it's always about this one thing. So, so it's like a reductionist idea, right? So science is always about, and I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday. He's a, a high-level academic neuroscientist, right? So he makes me feel smart when I talk to him. I don't know what he's talking right. about half the time, but it's great. And so he, I was like, dude, like, so there's this, this idea of reductionist, right? So when you're in science, it's like, let's boil everything down. Let's do all these experiments to get to one causation. So i.e. cancer must have one cause. And so in your business, there must be just one thing you're missing. There must be just one thing. And that's sort of the promise that we all buy into, right? And what We live in 3D space, right? So like there is no one idea. There's multiple things that you actually have to fix simultaneously to move forward. So for example, you talk about the diet example, which is a great one, the yo-yo diets. And naturally, it is not just about changing the food. So that's why most people fail at it. What's it about? Well, like any changes that have to be made, we've got to make it in our thinking. 
And we've got to make it in our belief systems. We've got to make it in what we call the self-image, which is your mirror to the world. And we have to make it in our behavior. So there's like four spaces right there. And we haven't even gone into the psychology of your life, like how the results of the past are actually affecting your future. So, so And that's what's 3D. So you can imagine there's a place you're trying to get to, and then around that is this sphere. And that sphere is all of your activities and, and, and ways that you act in life. And you're just focused on one thing to try to change it all. And so what we have to aim to do is to pick what I would say, which would be working smarter, not harder. You try to pick the thing that's going to be the greatest end uh, benefit. Okay, so for example, it might be uh, one idea that will help change a multitude of ideas, right? So maybe this course you're involved in, and hopefully this course that you're talking about that people might be thinking, should I finish it, is really something that's going to open up all of your life. Right. And so but we've got to move away from thinking just one course, one seminar is going to do it all. It's going to have to you're going to have to attack it on multiple fronts simultaneously. It sounds overwhelming, but it's actually quite liberating. When people hear that, they're like, thank you, because I've been trying for years at this goal thing and it hasn't been working. It's like because you have to do more than set a goal, write a vision and change one habit. You know, you've got to do a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, very very true. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to shift gears a little bit, and I think all that is fantastic. And there's a third area that we want to look at as we go into the third third of our time together here, and that's kind of the personal. So here's a question that I know you really appreciate, and I want to hear your thoughts on this for our listeners, Vaughn, is how do we rob ourselves of potential from our future without even knowing it? It starts... Well, robbing your potential is a tricky one because uh-huh. potential in and of itself is, well, I, I personally, my belief is that you and I, we have a purpose and we're born with limitless potential. And, and what that means is that we're also fighting where we've got limitless potential, but we also have finite resources. And so... Within ourselves is the potential I'm talking about. It's, it's the who you can become versus what you are doing. And so how we can rob ourselves of that is if we're uh, engaged in activities or work that is absolutely not connected to our purpose in life and who we are. And this happens, plays out every day. You can see it when people walking down the street. Right? They're just on their faces. They're just they're in the grind. They're in their rut race. Right? And so what, a, what purpose is, and the way I look at this, is that it's your unique skills, your unique talents, and your unique abilities. And you combine those together, and it's the reason you do something different to, and better than everyone you meet, and the same with them if they recognize that. So that's the step. It's like, okay, what, what do I do better? Then where is that best expressed? Is the vehicle I'm in at the moment really opening up that potential? Is it really allowing me to be free to be me, to go out there and to express those unique skills, talents, and abilities in a way that I love, uh, even if I don't get paid for it, okay? And so that's really one of the hardest questions to answer. So I believe that's what, to, to an extent, answers the question because if you don't know it, that's a bad place because you're not thinking, right? You don't have self-awareness. You're not actively analyzing your life. So the starting point, like everything, is you start analyzing your life and you start thinking about where you're going and why you're going there. The second thing to then think about is, okay, 
is that connected to my purpose and what, what is my purpose? What are those skills and talents and abilities? And then is that vehicle delivering that for me? If it isn't, we've got to make those changes because otherwise you're robbing the potential. Right. Right. Very, very true. So you've, I've heard you say, and I have some thoughts on this too, but I want to hear from you. Why is purpose hardwired and not a decision? Ah, uh, yeah. Good. That's a good one. Um, Cause I didn't, that, that I, thought about this for a long time right so this is not like i've read one book and gone yeah that's a good idea this is a that's a great question adam um that was one of the things my mentor first taught me he says we can decide on our passions in life like the things we want to pursue the things that we want to have a hobby okay so and remember when i said the word passion there i'm talking about like things you're interested in not the motivating force um the things you're enjoying but if we're I want to have a little think about that. Can you repeat the question? Because I was just got a bit sidetracked. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so exciting. Why is purpose, like when we have purpose, why oh, is yeah. purpose hardwired, hardwired and yeah. not a decision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's perfect. So, so sorry about that. The decisions that we make are up to us, right? So like what you want to eat, where you want to work, where you want to live, those sorts of things. But purpose being hardwired is... You know, I've got a little daughter. She's five months old at the moment, and I'm watching her and looking at her develop. And she, you can already start to see the personality, like the genetic traits come through, right? So how tall she grows, the look that she has, and the sort of temperament that she may have. Well, not temperament, but like the way her body develops. That's genetic, right? So that's fate. You can't change that. But within her like within her spiritual DNA, if you will, she has a purpose, right? She, she will have unique skills, talents, and abilities. Those are hardwired. They're inside her. They're, they need to be uncovered. So that's a different thing. That's, that's, so it's like people say, I need to decide on my purpose. It's like, no, no, no. You don't decide on your purpose, and you actually know what it is, but it's buried under what we call virus code, meaning for years and years, people have, like, you've inherited belief systems that probably aren't even yours about how you're not good enough or how you... Uh, may not love yourself, right? So these negative belief systems, right. that negative self-talk, clouds your ability to tap into understanding what your purpose is. Now, if I'll give you a very easy example to understand, my purpose is what we're doing, speaking. It's something since day one, I can remember, I've always wanted to help people, and I've always wanted to do that by speaking into their hearts, to the truth that I understand and as it is. And that's my skill. That's my talent. That's my ability. And I'm not very good at doing mechanical things right so it's not like i couldn't decide to go and become an engineer i could do that but it wouldn't be in harmony with the skills and the talents abilities i have so i would really suck at it and i do like at math and things oh man no good but when it comes to this proclivity it's it's an area that i find so natural and easy for me and so that was not something i decided on it was it was a purpose now outside of that what i have to decide on is to uncover that and then I have to decide on having the courage to live it, which are different uh, decisions. Wow, that's pretty good. Now, when I saw that, that topic myself, what I'm reminded of is, you know, about once a year, we're called upon to make these things called New Year's resolutions that I won't do. Because when <laughs> yeah. I think of New Year's resolution, I think of, all right, so if you're going to the gym, this is the week you take off. So... You work the other 51 weeks, take this week off while all the big New Year's resolutions are hogging up all the machines, and a week from now it'll be back to normal. That's what I think of when I think of a 
New Year's resolution because you think of a resolution, that's a decision. But if you're resolving you're going to do something different in the new year, how is that hardwired into your being of who you are and what you do? It hasn't become native to you. It hasn't, it's not an action habit that you've formed. And if you've not dealt with the underlying patterns and behaviors that lead you to do the things that have caused you to want to make that resolution in the first place, you're just going to fall back in about a week or so. That's what I thought of when I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So changing behavior and habits is is sort of the topic there, right? So it's like, you know, there's a reason you set a goal. And, and you know, if we look at goals, like they're for growth. They're not for the things you actually attain. They're, they're the person you become. And as a consequence of that, you, you, you develop your life. You get more material things. You, of course, improve your skills, but it's the, it's the growth. And so when we look at the other definition of purpose, which is talked about a lot in the business circle, the purpose is your why. And, you know, it's like Nietzsche said that if you have a compelling why, you can deal with any how. And it's very true. Right. So, so we're not confusing the two types of purpose. So when I'm talking about a, someone's innate skills, talents, and abilities, that purpose within them, that's their re, that's the, in my opinion, it's their reason they are here. Your job is to uncover it, live it out, because that's going to be your, your value to the world. It's going to make you uh, far more fulfilled as you go through, I suppose, the suffering, the tragedy that happens as you do life. But then there's a, there's a purpose, which is the why, right? Like, why are you doing it? So when you're setting a goal at New Year's Eve, it's like, why are you setting that goal? Because ultimately, you really got to want that goal because otherwise, the current level you're playing at, the current habits you have will keep you trapped because it's more painful to change. All right? And remember, you've got to, you've got to change into the person who wrote that goal down, not the person you are today. And so when people realize that, if, if most of this is unconscious, by the way. They're not actively choosing to fail. It's just like, ah, you know, man, it's just so much easier not to go out today or get up early. You know, like, so, so that's what holds them in place. It's that, that basic little habit. And so you've got to really have a very, very compelling reason why, but that's not the only thing. Like we said before, it's not just one thing. You've got to have that. Then you also have to have the other skills and talents around that, which is the ability to learn better, to have people to hold you accountable. And so there's a whole list of other things that really help people um, to avoid what we call, I suppose, the ye old New Year's resolution goal setting, stick it in the top desk of the drawer and look at it again in December that year. <laughs> Quite interesting. So here's another question for you. And this might be a good place for us to wrap up here uh, because I think that a lot of folks are going to listen to what you had to say today. They may think that what you had to say was great. They may have enjoyed this episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. They may tune in every week, and they listen. They say, rah, 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 that sounds great, and then nothing happens. So my question about that is, are your decisions made by not deciding? So that's a great question. Um, so I don't think uh, you can be... Well, personally, I don't think indecision exists because that's a decision. It's just not conscious. So people say, I'm not very good at making a decision. That, that's a decision. And so I would rather be on the side of making the decisions I want and then owning the consequences of the success or failure of that decision than backing out on myself and essentially becoming a victim to life and circumstance and taking that easy road of saying, well, I can't make decisions, so therefore I'll just go with what I'm doing 
which are all decisions, but they're just a little more unconscious because you're, you're not really actively moving forward, right? And so that, that's sort of the, the, you asked about living in default before. That's what living default is. It's really the difference between victimhood and responsibility in life. And that's where ultimately what you and I, we're all trying to get is meaning, right? We want meaning for our life. Like, does it matter what I do? And it, it doesn't have to matter. That's one side of it. It should really matter, though. What you do matters. And to do that, you need to be responsible. That means that you, the decisions you make, as you make every single decision, you are aware that you have no idea, no crystal ball if it's going to work. But you're okay with the deal because that's the game. I'm confident to make this decision. I have no idea if it's going to work out or not, but that's the joy. That's going to be fun. If, I, if I'm losing, I'm learning. And if I'm winning, I'm learning. And that's really the philosophy, right? So it's owning the consequence of the decision and realizing that you're not indecisive. You just need more courage to make the decisions that are going to suit your life and live out your purpose. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's great. And I think there are a lot of people who actually make the decision to not do anything by not doing it. It goes along the same lines as sometimes the most powerful response is no response at all. Mm. Mm. So do you think that people are running around like like do you, so do you think that it's the indecision bug that's got a lot of people sitting sitting around not really pursuing what they want? I think that could be something to do with it and I'm thinking that it could be a matter of a fear of change because mm -hmm. all change at least from my perspective and from where I'm seeing things how they work can be considered scary because it goes into what we think of as the unknown. And when you don't have an absolute clarity or assurance on what's happening next, that in itself can be a frightening situation. Uh, well, the unknown is what we're all battling with and against, right? We're all trying to figure it yeah. out. And, 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 uh, and, it's, and there is, it, like, we, we, you know, neuroscientists don't even understand or know yet what consciousness is. So we're playing a game that we that there are principles to life and there are rules that will help you create certainty in an extremely uncertain universe. Um, but what you said about change and and this is again why why listening to these sorts of things and these sort of shows and the the self education is so vital is because change is inevitable, but growth is a choice. So not everybody has to change in the sense that the, uh, what I, when I say change, change is inevitable, but the, the, the decisions to make specific changes so you get a better quality of life and you, f you develop more meaning in your life, those sort of changes people do get scared of for sure because it is, it is so unknown. But do you know what? The change is going to happen anyway because it's inevitable. Your life will change. There is stuff you cannot control. People are going to die. They're going to get sick. You're going to die soon. Like we just had someone very close to us uh, fatally die in a car crash on the weekend. 40 years old, gone, right? We just don't know. So I would rather be out there making the changes now that I get to control because that's a far better way to live than be like, well, you know, I can be a little hacky sack for life. You know, let, let life kick me around and, you know, I'll just wallow in victimhood going, oh, woe is me, you know? So, and I think your listeners are like that too. They want to be on the side of, you know, victor, right? And responsibility. Like, let's go make it happen. If it doesn't work out, ah, oh, man, that's why they made bars. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So with that, I know there may be some folks who are sitting on the edge of their seat or maybe looking ahead to think about 
what could be the next step. So what we'd like to do, Vaughn, is give you just a moment here as we're wrapping up and just share with our audience uh, how you serve business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion and how somebody can take it to the next level with you if they choose to do so. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I'd love to connect to people. Um, I'm very easy to contact through uh, my website, vaughnliddycoat.com and www.vaughn.academy where I have um, regular blog posts, lots of free training to do life assessments uh, and to help you with many of the things that we discussed today. I've got lots of free content out there and uh, if anyone would like to talk about coaching, that's something we can do, but I don't, I don't do very much of it. Um, and uh, because, you know, I've got a lot of content people can digest on their own time. But I'm so grateful to be here, Adam. For anyone listening, thank you for allowing me to share some ideas uh, that have helped change my life. You bet. And thank you for being with us. So, so Von Liddycoat, uh, it's been an honor and an education, and we're grateful to you for your time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, All Adam. right. For, you bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win, at the game of, you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.